What has been called the gap theory was a popular and consistent explanation of the first chapter of Genesis among Christians up through the mid-1900s. With the rise of young earth creationism, the gap understanding was simply pushed to the background and ridiculed as a past effort to satisfy the claims of modern evolutionary science. In effect, the new teachers buried this doctrine with the debris of Noah's flood deposits. What does the Bible really teach about a gap? Does a gap have any basis in Bible doctrine? Now for our host, Bill Petrie. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth in Genesis 1.1. And in Genesis 1.3, God says, let there be light, which is followed by the seven days of creation and the making of the world into which he placed Adam and Eve. But between those two verses, there is the mysterious and enigmatic statement of Genesis 1-2, which states, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This verse should not be dismissively taken as just some throwaway statement of how God began the creation process, because it is a serious declaration of factual conditions by the Holy Spirit to call the reader's attention to something that is abnormal and out of place. Those facts are, one, the earth already exists. Two, the planet is void of life. And three, there is great darkness everywhere. And fourth, water already exists. Why? When was all this created? That mysterious verse is the Holy Spirit's guidance to a key scriptural truth. Specifically, the heaven and earth of the original creation have been destroyed and corrupted because of Satan's sin of rebellion back in earth's ancient past. That first world on the face of the earth was now in complete ruin. What remained was shrouded in a great physical and spiritual darkness and the power of death. The reason? Sin in deep time. The Apostle Peter spoke of this mystery in the New Testament. He wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, the following. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, of ungodly men. People assume that the mention of the word water in the above passage makes it a reference to Noah's flood and the Antedouvelin world of man, but it is not. The phrase 
willingly ignorant and common sense should tell us otherwise. After all, anybody even remotely familiar with the Bible knows about Noah's flood. No, the verse is speaking about something else. In the only other place in the Bible where the earth was covered in waters is Genesis 1-2. The ramifications are obvious. The Bible itself reveals that the heavens and the earth, which are now made during the seven days, was not the first time creation of all things. The word of God is telling the observant reader there was a previous world on the face of this old earth before the present world of man. The Lord God created the heavens and the earth, and he authored the Bible through his Holy Spirit. Those are two witnesses to God's truth. One witness is the earth's geology, which reveals evidence of death and the fossil record extending back millions and millions of years. The other witness is the written word of God, which, when rightly divided, can tell men why there is death in the fossil record. The Genesis Gap Doctrine, commonly called the Gap Theory, or Ruin Reconstruction Interpretation of Genesis, is not a modern-day interpretation of the Holy Bible. It is a biblical teaching that was espoused by the early church and the very fundamental Protestant faith in the years before Darwin's theory of evolution was even published, at a time when the geological sciences were still in their infancy. The Genesis Gap Doctrine has always been within the Holy Bible. It was there when Moses penned the book of Genesis. It is not a recent notion. The Genesis Gap Doctrine does not contradict the modern-day geologic observations that indicate an Earth that is at least 4.5 billion years old, with known evidence of death in Earth's fossil record extending back at least 3 billion years. Nor does it contradict the Holy Bible. On the contrary, the doctrine clarifies why these apparent contradictions between the Bible and science exist, why the old world that then was ended, and why God made a new world in modern man, requires a study into the ancient origins of Satan and the angels. This biblical knowledge opens a clearer window into understanding why we see the world as it is today. It also provides a more perfect understanding and warning against what is yet to come upon the world in the future and why. The subjects of the Bible and geology are not mutually exclusive concepts. The earth has an ancient natural history that can be deciphered 
from the geologic record, but it also has an equally important ancient spiritual history that can only be deciphered from a rightly divided Holy Bible. Knowledge of both and enlightenment through the Holy Spirit brings comprehension of the proper context of Earth's geology within the books of Genesis. The Holy Spirit reveals there is a time gap between the first two verses of the Old Testament. This is not the only time gap in the Old Testament. There are two others. There is the gap in the Old Testament between the first and second comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is commonly called the Church Age or the Age of Grace. The other is the thousand-year millennial kingdom here on the earth before the final great judgment day, followed by the creation of the new heaven and the new earth in the distant future. The late Clarence Larkin referred to these Old Testament gaps as valleys between the peaks of prophecy. All three of these scriptural gaps or valleys have one thing in common. These are things that are spiritually discerned through the Holy Spirit, spelled out plainly in the New Testament, which sheds light on what is written in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit reveals these things through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of all true wisdom. Does not Colossians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 tell us that this is indeed true? It reads that their hearts may be consoled being united in love and to all the riches of the assurance of understanding unto a realization of the secret of the God and Father of Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are concealed. The spirit of prophecy certainly looks forward into the future, but it also can look backward into the past. And you will be able to see this in the Bible. Keep in mind that what transpired in the past directly sets the course for what will happen in the future. This is why it is essential to understand why there is a gap between the first two verses of the Bible. Peter's statement in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, tells us something that is not directly revealed in the Old Testament in Genesis 1-2. But before I amplify the matter further, you need to see why Peter is not speaking about Noah's flood. Let me again quote this passage to you. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But 
the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I want you to compare the phrases, the heavens and earth, which are now, to the phrase, the heavens were of old in that verse. Ask yourself this question. When Noah's flood happened, did it change anything in the upper heavens? That is, would a flood on the earth's surface have any effect on the sun, moon, or stars high above? The obvious answer is no. Genesis 6.13 states, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The heavens of Noah's days were the same heavens as in Adam's day. Same sun, same moon, same stars. Noah's flood had no effect on the upper heavens. All of Noah's flood's effects were confined to the earth's surface and its atmosphere. If the effects of Noah's flood were confined to the earth's surface and atmosphere, then Noah's flood did not affect or alter anything in the upper heavens. So logic and common sense demands that this verse must be speaking about an event other than Noah's flood. Genesis 1-2 is our only other biblical alternative. Notice also in that passage that the earth is said to be standing out of the water and in the water. In our English language, these descriptive terms suggest that these waters were not confined to the surface of the planet. The passage describes a deluge that raged across the solar system and beyond with Earth caught up in the destructive overflow. Try to draw this mental picture. Think of a dark, and ruined universe, with water strewn throughout it, like one big messy galactic spill. That is what Genesis 1-2 is speaking about when it says that darkness was upon the face of the deep. And imagine the planet Earth drifting awash in this roaring and rolling, formless mess while still orbiting around the dead star that once was Earth's early sun. Where would such waters have come from? Well, it is an established scientific observation that aging stars create and give off lots of water. Certainly, there must have been lots and lots of stars in the heavens that were of old, just as there are today. And if something had caused 
the entire cosmos to have gone dark and all those stars died, including our sun, then there would be excessive waters everywhere throughout outer space. If that was indeed the case, then all those extinguished stars would need to be reignited to be seen in our present heavens. Although many gap theory advocates believe that the sun, moon, and stars were not affected and were only being obscured by deep cloud cover until the fourth of the seven days, that interpretation does not hold up under close scrutiny of the scriptures. At Genesis 1-2, the heaven and the earth are in darkness and great waters are upon the deep. If we interpret the deep to include everything in the physical universe, which included everything below God's heavenly realm, which is far above, according to John 8.23, then this situation becomes clear. John 8.23 reads it this way, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Before any reconstruction of the heavens and the earth could begin, God had to do something with all that water scattered across space. That is why the Bible says in Genesis 1-7, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. The Bible is saying that God placed the sea or waters above the firmament between the footstool of his heavenly throne and the less than pure physical cosmos down below that Satan's rebellion ruined. Psalm chapter 148 verses 2 through 4 reads, Praise you him, all his angels. Praise you him, all his hosts. Praise you him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters that be above the heaven. This division was not good, but it was necessary. Note that although God says it was good concerning days 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6, he does not say that about the work of day 2. And I ask you, do not take my word for it. Check it out for yourself, and you'll see that that is so. On day 2, God never says that it was good. Prior to that, God made another division at the beginning of the seven days that was good. Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 through 5 record this. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. 
and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. In the darkness, he called night. In the evening, in the morning, were the first day. This light was not physical light as in sunshine, because God did not make the sun, moon, and stars of this present world until the fourth day. This light was the light of God. You should take note that the translators of the authorized version, more commonly known as the King James Version, did something very important in this passage. They capitalized the words day and night in Genesis 1-5 to stress the importance of these word definitions. The correct interpretation of these terms is found in this New Testament passage. 1 Thessalonians 5-5 reads, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. The Bible itself provides the correct interpretation of the meaning. There were two types of darkness present at Genesis 1-2. Yes, there was a literal darkness or an absence of light, but there was also spiritual darkness the presence of evil within the ruins of the creation. The scriptures tell us that both good and evil are present when God made Adam's world. Genesis 2.9 records this, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why this was the case is a podcast for a different day. This ruin, reconstruction, interpretation of Genesis was the bread and butter creation doctrine of the church in the early part of the 20th century. The interpretation has mainly been credited to the Scottish theologian Thomas Calmers who began to preach it back in the early 19th century. Contrary to contemporary young earth creationist allegations, Chalmers did not invent the Genesis gap interpretation as a compromise of the word of God to accommodate the theory of evolution. The fact that Chalmers was preaching the Genesis gap out of the Bible for well over 12 years before Darwin even published his On the Origin of Species reveals the fallacy of such unfounded accusations. Keep in mind that from the days of the apostles up through the Dark Ages and until just a few centuries ago, A 6,000-year age for the heavens and earth was accepted dogma in the institutions of both the church and academia, as well as ancient Judaism. Up until then, the real age of the earth was never a burning issue. 
However, after the Bible was published for the masses, and as the scientific evidence for an old earth grew, so did the breach between the establishment church and establishment science. What we have in the case of Thomas Chalmers in the post-Reformation times is an example of revelation and illumination from the Holy Scriptures. That is, when the proper time came, the Word of God once again proved itself timely and relevant to the level of scientific and spiritual understanding of the day. And the Holy Spirit began opening eyes to a truth that was already there in the Scriptures. The Bible can provide true and faithful answers to all scientific discoveries that appear to challenge the fundamentals of the Christian faith. The problem today is that people have, for the most part, abandoned faith in the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the divine author of both the Scriptures and the Earth's geologic record. Both are from his hand. Both witness historical and spiritual truth. He established the principles of science by which we can search out the answers to things preserved within the Earth's geology. His scriptures provide us with a definitive and infallible source of authority and a faithful guide to verify the validity of the things man observes hidden within the earth. Therefore, there cannot possibly be any real contradiction in facts between geology and Genesis. Any such contradictions only arise within the flawed paradigms of our understanding, be they scientific or biblical. Remember, the theory of evolution is a faith-based belief, a belief system founded on observations without the benefit of biblical clarification and without the benefit of being even true science. Let us be honest, biblical creationism will never find fair and equal standing and acceptance with the non-believing world's accepted paradigm of origins. The world has placed its faith in the theory of evolution and carnal reasoning. The truth of the Bible must be accepted by faith as the word of God, and you must trust him. You must trust him above what your pastor or science teacher thinks is truth. The supernatural intervention or acts of an invisible divine sovereign can neither be proved nor disproved by the scientific method. Regrettably, a large segment of fundamental Christianity 
has placed its faith in an interpretation of Genesis which denies not only the historical facts contained within the earth itself, but in some cases, the very wording of the Holy Bible as well. Trust your Bible. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 state, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, in my thoughts, than your thoughts. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.